Well, today on the podcast, we have my new friend, Lindsay Carlson, and Lindsay is the wife of a pastor, uh, a church planter, and she's written a book a lot about the discipleship of young women, and um, I really have appreciated her thoughtfulness when it comes to uh, the unique challenges of being a young woman. Not that I can relate, (laughs) obviously, but I do have two young women that live in my house, and I am married to a former young woman, and we have a lot, obviously at the Vine, we have a lot of um, young women and emerging young women. And so, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. So we've got at the Vine, the dominant demographic would be young families. And uh, we have some diversity, but mainly it would be like probably like uh, late 20s, early 30s and a three-year-old and a newborn would be the typical Vine family. Like I'm the old guy at our church. Um, Awesome. And... So we have a lot of folks that aren't in the stage of life of parenting that you've talked about in your um, in your most recent book, but we have a lot of parents that are going to be thinking about that very soon. You know, um, I think it's actually better to talk about this kind of stuff when you are at the beginning of shaping sure. everything because it's like a long goal; it's a long end goal yes. that you're reaching for. So, Lindsay, why don't you just tell us a quick overview of your book? And why you wrote it and um, some of the main themes that you are trying to draw out. Sure. So I grew up in a home uh, where our family went to church. Um, We went weekly. I mean, I would have thought I was a very religious person, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't understand the gospel until I was probably late in high school, maybe early college. And so um, because I grew up attending a church that wasn't teaching the Bible, wasn't talking about the gospel, wasn't um, explaining how Jesus was different than like Jonah or Paul, you know, like I just kind of saw Jesus as like one of the many people that is in the Bible stories. Um, And so I was very um, like a moral um, morality seeker um, with zero understanding of my own sin. And so, um, when I, when I got to college, I went to a Bible college and I remember choosing that college because I wanted to learn to be a Christian basically. And thinking if I go to a Christian school, they have to teach me how to be a Christian. And, um, (laughs) like, you know, retrospectively I'm thinking, man, I just needed discipleship and there was no one around saying, Hey, Lindsay, let me disciple you. And so, um, in the Lord's kindness, it actually ended up being my husband who discipled me. Um, and you know, when we, before we were dating. And so, um, I guess as we've become parents, it's been interesting to kind of think, okay, how can I be a mom that is shaping this culture and, um, fostering faith and planting seeds, um, when I don't really feel like I had that in my own life. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really challenging if you look at it in your own human strength. Um, So I think that uh, I have always had a heart for women's discipleship. And so uh, as my daughter became a teenager or preteen, I started thinking like, oh man, these are the years that I've longed for that I've been so excited about. You know, like when you have a two-year-old and a three-year-old and you're, you know, memorizing scripture and you're teaching like really basic truths and things it can sometimes feel so rote and so kind of like, is this ever going to pay off? You know, will it actually lead to fruit? 
and you just trust. And so when my daughter hit the preteen years, that was kind of when I started thinking like, oh my gosh, there's so much that I want to impart to you. And I only have four years left before you're leaving. And so um, writing just kind of has always been um, an easy way for me to communicate, I guess. And so um, it became kind of a like a project that I thought, I'm going to write this for my daughter for when she turns 13 as kind of just a way to say, hey, as a follower of Jesus, these are the things that I want you to hold near and dear and like kind of just the shaping wisdom that I want guiding you as yeah. you enter, you know, adulthood. Yep. Um, and so I think that uh, for me, because of my experience growing up, I think that uh, that translated into just explaining to her the process of sanctification mm-hmm. and an understanding of that, like, you're not a Christian just because you confess Christ and that you believe that, you know, he is the way to salvation. You also, like, in the Christian walk, are growing and developing and um, seeing Christ sanctify you on a daily basis. And so wanting her to have a vision for that that included, like, um, like growing actively and wanting and desiring to bear the fruit of the Spirit in her life um, and not just kind of, like, taking that, like, okay, we're coasting our way through yep, yep. religious life, you know? Yeah. So you really, the book, um, what's the title of the book, Lindsay? Can you tell growing, our listeners? Sure. It's Growing in Godliness, A Teen Girl's Guide to Maturing in Christ. So your target audience would be teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you're really seeking to equip them. But I would imagine also equipping parents to walk alongside them, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I think that it... Um, you know, I mean, like you always kind of write a book that you, you aim at a strategic audience, but you hope it's going to reach wider, you know? So I will, I will say that I've had, um, a lot of women pick it up for their daughter and say, but it helps me too. And I grew from it. So the, the goal is that like all truth is God's truth, right? So if I'm actually writing from scriptural, um, perspective, then it should equip the saints no matter what age or stage. So, um, my hope is that, you know, if you're, even if you're a mom that has a three-year-old, um, this is going to help kind of give you a broader grid to think about how you are discipling your coming generation of kids or whatever it is. Um, these are the things that I want to be imparting as we go. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, you definitely can read it from different lenses. Um, also, I think um, for people that have an aim to disciple the teens in their life that maybe they're not parenting a teenager, but they do have someone in their life that's that age group that they want to be able to reach in and make deposits into. Yeah, that's really, really good. Um, So, Lindsay, uh, I know you're not supposed to ask a woman how old they are, but I'm just going to ask you. I can tell that you're probably not going to be offended by that. How old are you I'm now? <laughs> I'm 30. I almost told you the wrong age. I'm 39 as of okay. like a week or two ago. So. Yeah, I just did that on a podcast uh, a few months ago where I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm 43. And Kim listened to the podcast. She's like, you know, you're 44, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. no, I don't I, know that. Yeah, I think this is the last year where I'm, you know, like, or the first year, I guess, where I'm like, ooh, I'm heading on up. Like, yeah. 30s are about to be over. Yeah. I've honestly, um, you know, you're married to a pastor and ministry can be hard at times. Um, and it can be really, really joyful at times too, of course. Um, but man, I've loved my 40s. Good. I love my Good 40s. to hear. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And how many kids do you all have? We have five. So we started really early, right out of college, and had our first, I think we were like 22 when my daughter was born. Okay. 
So right now our age span goes from my daughter is 16 and our youngest is about to turn five. So, um, and we have one girl and then four boys. Yep. Yeah. We've got uh, four and we'll go from 18 down to 12, uh, boy, girl, boy, girl. And, uh, so yeah, we've got a, an adult in the house now that's voting and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you're a child of the eighties like me. Yes. Yes. Um, glorious decade. Yes. Yes. As you think about your teenage years versus what your current teenager is walking through or your 16 year old is walking through, how would you compare and contrast, um, the time in which your daughter is living and are there unique challenges to how your daughter's living that you didn't have to live in or strengths, weaknesses, just anything you want to say as you think about your, your developmental years versus hers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now, at least in our part of the country, um, is that, you know, so when I grew up, I grew up in the South. Um, the Christian culture was like very, very wrapped up in like the purity culture, you know? So it was like, to be a Christian is to be equated with wearing the promise ring, saving sex before marriage. You know, like there was a very like clear boundary that, that they were being taught, that Christian kids were being taught. All right, we got to come back and talk about this, but keep going. I just want to make a mental note because I want to talk okay. about purity culture. That's okay. really good, really good. Um, yeah, and so that was one of those things that like I think frequently identified the Christians in, in the mix because it was like, you know, they were looked at as, you know, whatever, weird. But... Um, but I think that in my daughter's uh, generation, what I'm noticing is, um, I mean, overall the word I would put on it is confusion, but um, my daughter actually attends like a liberal arts magnet school program. So um, it's specifically aimed at art students, right? And so you're, um, you're automatically getting a very, very, very wide liberal range of views in that um, in that school. And so we really struggled with whether or not to allow her kind of to go to this school because, you know, that seems to kind of be working so actively against what we've been working for 15 years to like pour into her and firm up. Um, and now we're like sending her into this culture that's saying all the opposite of everything we've said. And, um, and so my daughter now goes to school. This is the second year. She's a sophomore, um, with people who are, um, openly questioning sexuality, sure. um, openly saying like, you know, uh, I'm transgender or sure. I'm not sure, or, um, like all of her teachers sign emails as like with their pronouns, yeah, you his, know, like his, his him, yeah, 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 these are my pronouns. And so, um, and my daughter is going in there as someone who is like, I think one of two Christians that she knows of at this school. Um, and so, that like, I think about my own time in high school where I'm thinking, you know, like, do I want to identify as a Christian, you know, like, and have them assume that that means this and this and this. And it was like challenging back then, but not anywhere near the same as like the cancel culture that exists right now. And the like, to have this belief is to be a homophobic person or to be unloving. And, uh, so it's, they're, you know, they're grappling with matters of like truth and reality. Like what, like, is there actually absolute truth? Mm-hmm. It's not just, um, it's just a, it's a totally different level. Of- yeah. I mean, I remember wrestling with issues like, is there absolute truth? Like that was a big deal in, in college for me. Um, in like some of the classes I took in college, I didn't go to Christian college and basic philosophy stuff and, mm-hmm. 
you know, the professors like to take the naive Christian kids and turn them on their head, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I agree. I was raised in Iowa. And so, um, there's a lot of Christian kids that come in, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and <laughs> the professor wants to just like, let me throw a wrench in your little naive worldview, you know, yes. and that was me. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I welcomed it and, and it was, uh, it was good for me. Um, but yeah, like there, we never really talked about sexuality. You know, I mean, that wasn't like gender and sexuality was still at that time. This is mid nineties, um, or late eighties when I was coming up, um, that wasn't really on the forefront. And so that is a very, very unique environment. Our kids are now thrust into, and I know a lot of people, um, a lot of parents, especially parents of young kids are trying to make sense of that. Um, what school choices should I make? And we, we, at the vine, we try to be really clear that we're not dogmatic about school choices. That's a, that is a extra biblical issue. And so we want to have freedom in things that are not addressed in the Bible. And, um, that's an open handed issue. And, you know, um, so we, we really want to make sure that's clear. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it and, uh, and seek counsel from others. And so, you know, the, the gender and sexuality, um, discussion, I think is going to be at the forefront of a lot of things for Christians in the, in the rest of my lifetime, if I were predicting, how are you and your husband thinking about that in terms of education, uh, of your kids and in, in a public, you know, your kid, you've chosen public school for your oldest, right? Yes. So we're kind of like, um, I, th- I feel like the Lord puts us on a path where it's like, whatever you think you won't do, I might ask you to do. So just be cool. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I mean, we, we went through a phase where we were exclusively, you know, adamantly homeschooling forever and ever. And right, then right. a phase where we had lots of kids under six or whatever. And, and I went, I'll never homeschool ever again. And you can't make me. And, uh, now we're back in the land of like, oh yeah, God's on his throne and ruling and reigning no matter what happens. Yes. Uh, yes. and so, uh, we're, you know, we're in a, in a place where I probably would never choose to like, uh, toss my kids into a public school environment, but by the Lord's provision, uh, that's been the, the clear route forward, um, yeah. for the past five years. And so, uh, when the pandemic hit, it became very clear that that was not the best, um, no longer the best option for our boys. So, um, but my daughter, being in the school that she had to audition for, and it was really difficult to get into, um, we we decided to honor her choice and let her stay uh, invested in that online. But we've been homeschooling our boys, so um, it's been really kind of hilarious to see how, um, you know, sometimes like when my own desires have to take a back seat, like the blessing that comes from that and obedience, like even when it wasn't my way and what I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so homeschool has been, um, homeschool specifically during the pandemic has been a really good gift for our family. Um, you know, I still, I think that's kind of surprised me and caught me off guard. Um, but we, uh, I think, you know, even today I, I couldn't tell you a hundred percent what we're doing next year, you know? And and I love it. And I think, I think every kid's different. Every family's different. I mean, there's so many questions about context. Yes. You know, what's yes. the context of my kid's brain, of a parent's yes. ability, desire, capacity? What's the school system? I mean, to anybody, even, I, go ahead. Yeah. And even like the kid is changing. I yes. mean, like there are some years that I would have looked back and been like, oh, absolutely never would I've sent this kid this place, you know? But like 
their, their seasons change, our seasons change, you know, like their struggles change. Um, yep. so yep. yeah, it's like constant reassessing of, uh, of resources, I think. Yeah. And we've, we've chosen, uh, an even different model. Uh, we, our kids are in, um, kind of a hybrid model between, um, it's called classical university uh, model. Yeah. We would love to do Christian that. Christian education. Um, but I mean, I'm not dogmatic about this stuff. And I, it's like, I remember, you know, being in my twenties and really dogmatic about certain things, or you see folks in their twenties, like really dogmatic about education choices. I've, I've, you know, I've seen that. And it's just funny. Like when you, when you talk to folks like our age, most people aren't super dogmatic anymore. <laughs> like, and, so uh, like I saw and, where that went. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think it's good for folks to hold their convictions loosely and, um, just prayerfully one kid at a time. What's best for this kid right now, where we are right now. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, but yeah. I, are you seeing like having to coach your daughter up in a different way? Um, in unique ways, like, are you having conversations that come from the school environment that are good, bad, challenging, hard, you know, just describe that. Yeah. I, I think that like if Lindsay, uh, 10 years ago had known that I would be, be having the kinds of conversations that I'm having, like I would have been scared out of my mind. I mean, they're, they're definitely like next level conversations that, like only the Lord's mercy has prepared me for because, you know, I mean, like we're having to have conversations about like, um, I mean, there was a a friend that like out of nowhere invited her by text to go see a movie with her one-on-one, not a friend that she knew super well. Um, you know, and I said, I had to explain to her, like, listen, if this had been a guy in 1996, you know, like reaching out to me that I hardly knew asking me to go one-on-one on a date with him, I would have assumed it was a date, right? you know, like if a girl had, I would have been like, oh, that's weird. She wants to get to know me. Why isn't she just my friend at school? But you don't live in that world. Like you right. live in a world where, where gender fluidity exists and we don't know what people's assumptions are. Right. And, and there is always that challenge of, well, that girl might just not know that she's this yet. And so maybe it's me that's going to flip her. You know, and so like my, my daughter has to have this understanding of like being guarded in a very different way because she has to be thinking like, I may not be interested in like pursuing a relationship with the same gender, but that does not mean that other people are not assuming and pursuing that. Right. And if I'm going to love my neighbor, I have to also be careful with my neighbor in the same ways that a, a woman would be careful with a guy who is pursuing her. Sure. She now has to also consider how to be careful with, with girls. Right. Which is like another level of crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. That we're having to talk about. Challenging. Yeah. I feel like what I go back to, cause this is, this is no different than like trying to pastor a church is very similar to parenting. Parenting is pastoring, you know, in a lot of ways. And, um, I mean, pastoring is parenting and parenting yes, is pastoring. Yes. Right. And, <laughs> yes. um, and I feel like the burden I have for my kids, but I think about this mostly with our people at church, um, when we're thinking about adults, is like if we don't have a really well thought out doctrine of creation, um, that and from that doctrine of creation comes marriage, and from the doctrine of marriage comes what is sexuality actually for? Like why does sex exist in the first place? 
like that's a that's a pretty intense conversation, you know. Um, but it's it's absolutely necessary. Like I never had a worked out theology mm-hmm. of or a biblical theology of sexuality and gender until probably seminary or something. It was all just default settings, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. But yeah. like, if special like my kids don't have to have that quite yet, even though they're in process with that. Um, but if your kids are in a sec in 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 public school, um, I can see how that would really really be important. But well, and even like you know, for the boys, like it plays out a lot more with like in relation to pornography. Like we're having to have. I mean, hopefully, parents are all having conversations with their kids about the dangers of that. But like we're having to have the deeper levels of conversation about how pornography relates to a biblical view of sexuality. Right. So that. When, you know, like they're understanding, this is not just like my mom and dad don't like this. This is a like, I understand how this fits in the structure of like the holiness of God, you know, and like I'm able to actually not just say like I'm a prude who is not on board with the same things you are, but like there's a reason that I don't see this as good and right. Yeah, like just, hey, hey, little Johnny, you need to knock it off. That's not going to have any staying power for your sanctification. Mm-mm. But but hey, this is God's plan. This is mm-hmm. this is why you're created. This is why bodies aren't a means to an end. Right. Um, like that's that's beautiful to be able to articulate that. But man, I just in some ways feel like Lindsay. You know, if you choose the public school route, you know, and you feel like your kids are mature enough to handle it, um, there's a real blessing in that. You know, because I think about it like this. Um, if we're all thinking of ourselves as on mission, meaning in, I know this people will, will, will not like me saying this in some circles. Um, but I'll just say it cause you'll get what I mean is if we're all missionaries, I know we're not all missionaries, but like if we have the, all, all have the mindset that we're called to make disciples wherever we are and to share the gospel. Um, you know, my, our team, we have a team that's in Morocco and uh, very, very different in Morocco. They're not, ha- they're not having questions about gender and sexuality. They have a whole ho- host of other issues mm-hmm. um, when it comes to a culture of Islam. And uh, so if they're missionaries, they're going there and they're submitting to that culture. They're thrusting themselves into that culture because they want to win people for Christ and plant churches there. But that comes with a cost for the, my kids' education. I have to either homeschool or send them to the public schools. I mean, there's private schools, but it's all public in our mm-hmm. mindset. Um, and in those schools, they will hear about Islam. So that's just another worldview. Yeah. Like our, our, our Christians here are thrust into an environment with another worldview. And anyway, you slice it as a parent, you're going to have to have worldview conversations with your kids. If you're a missionary, at some point your kids have to be prepared to engage the world. Now, I'm not saying you have to send your kids to public school, but you have to prepare them to enter the world. And, right. and our, our, our friends in, in, in Morocco, they don't have any other choice. Their, their kids are exposed to the lie um, of Islam. And they have well, to. Well, and it's it's a very like uh, privileged position to be able to like think that you always should have your own choice about what you do. Amen. Like, but uh, with your kids, you know, I mean, yeah. that's like right there off the bat. But I mean, like, and I think that even uh, the like, so you you mentioned at the beginning of that question, like you said, 
um, it's good that you have a kid that's mature enough to handle that. And I think that the like trick is that sometimes we don't know that they're right. mature enough to handle it or not mature enough to handle right. it, you know? And often like we enter a situation going like in more like Joshua, who's, you know, called to do this thing, but the Lord says, be strong and courageous. Like I am with you. And that's all we get. Like we don't get the warranty that our kid is not going to stumble. And I think that if we, if we enter thinking that it's like, uh, that we're promised like guardrails that our kids are not going to fall off into, you know, danger, then we're going to be disappointed. But if we view it as like, actually it's the curriculum that they are learning about the Lord with, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, who signs up for trouble? Who signs up for trial? Like none of us, right? <laughs> right. But like, if we're called to like rejoice in all things because we know that it's producing godliness, then when those like really hard things come into our own kids' lives, we don't have the mindset of like, oh, I mismanaged this thing and right. now they're experiencing conflict and trial. Right. It's like, no, actually God may have placed them there because he needs them to experience this trial when you're still present to speak into it. Amen. You know, and Amen. we're like, oh, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. Oh, preach it. Well, yeah. yeah, but I'd rather than be uncomfortable like right now than when they're 25 and in a college, you know, in like a totally different removed situation yep. with no spiritual authority in their yeah. lives. Yeah. So what you're saying is we can't shelter our kids, but it's way better to have them not be sheltered. However you want to define that. I'm not, I'm not drawing yeah. one-to-one connections to anything, but however you want to define not being sheltered, um, we could talk about what that means, but, well, but you have to say, walk like, with your, you have to walk with your kids in that. Yes. And I will say like, I mean, any, any of the kids who are like current friends of my own children at school that are not like from believing families, like to consider my family, like non-sheltering is hilarious because like my kids are like the most sheltered. Like there are so many ways that we have chosen to protect them or to like, you know, keep them from the world. But there are like also other certain areas that the Lord allows them to experience it in pieces, you know, that are for their training. Amen. Yeah. I, I just am so thankful that, um, we've been able to, I mean, it it is so uncomfortable watching your kids walk through hard things. And a lot of people listening to this podcast have littles. And so it's (laughs) at that stage where you can just pick them up and control them and physically move them places. And that's physically exhausting. It might not be as emotionally exhausting. Um, but when you get to our stage in parenting, it's much more emotionally exhausting. And man, it's hard to watch your kids walk through stuff that are veering in the direction of adult issues. And, but I, to your point, you know, like, um, man, just being able to walk with them in that and attempt to coach them up in that is such a blessing. Um, but man, like it's so, I, I want to helicopter parent these kids, you know, I really do. And, yeah. uh, it feels good. I was just talking to my to my Kim. I was talking to my wife. Her name is Kim. Um, <laughs> this past weekend, we were in my hometown, and I was we were on a walk, and I was showing her, um, "Hey, this this little creek here. I used to play in this creek with my friend Matt Adam uh, in fifth grade, and we would be in that creek like literally playing all day. And my parents would have no idea where we are, and it was just kind of like you know. And I'm this is a town of like forty thousand people, so it's not tiny, but not huge." Which is like come home for dinner, you know what I mean? Um, free range kids, right? Yeah, eighties. Yeah, it was the eighties, and uh, I would never, 
let my mm-hmm. kids do that. Now, they're older now, so I probably actually would. Right. But like when I was in fifth grade, I'm sorry, when, when they were in fifth grade, never. But mm-hmm. I don't, you know, we romanticize our past and all that stuff. I don't know what the right answer is in, um, whether, in terms of what's the appropriate level of sheltering and what's not. But I do know that if we shelter too much, um, man, our kids just aren't going to be forced to deal with the world the way that it is, you know? Yeah. I think it's like giving, giving them tools, not rescue. Like, so you you point to the one who rescues mm-hmm. and you give them tools to access the one who rescues Yep. and then you protect where you can, you yep. know? And I think like there, the thing that has been the most comforting to me as like a mom of older kids now, um, is like, I used to think that it was totally my responsibility to like keep all the bad out and like protect them from all the bad things, you know? And, um, and like the first time that your kid does like, you know, do the dumb thing or, you know, fall off something or whatever. Like my kids are always like way up high climbing things and jumping off of things and falling and breaking things. And, um, but like seeing that the, the times that things have happened, like whether it's like my kid falls into something, um, like sinful falls into something. Sure. And like the way that the Lord so faithfully like brings it to the light, you know, like he doesn't allow that darkness to fester. And so, um, it really has forced me to, uh, absolutely trust the Lord that even while I'm like working alongside to protect them and I'm trying to give them tools that, you know, teach them self, um, control and teach them good practices and things, um, that I ultimately trust that because God loves them more than I do and God cares about their sanctification more than I do, that when and if things happen, that God will bring them to light when they need to come to light and he will deal with them. Like he's, he can be trusted to do that. And the times that he has done that in, um, in our own kids' lives, I can think of like two major things where it was like, oh, I did not know that that was going on. Like that honestly was just totally under the radar and the Lord brought it up and it was like the most shaping and pivotal point in both of those kids' relationships with the Lord because it revealed their need for him. And like, the gospel became so personal in those moments where if I had been like doing the helicopter parents, you know, micromanaging, like I would have chosen to skip over those moments. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's really, really good. Lindsay. I I think about too, um, man, just the, the way that the power of the internet is shaping the world that our kids live in, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, that I, I'm, the, you know, the phrase is there's nothing new under the sun, but the power of the internet is new. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. It really yeah. is new. And new we're living in it. Like, like we're living in a time just as revolutionary as the printing press or just mm-hmm. as revolutionary. I mean, I look out my window in my office here and there's cars streaming by. Like when the car was and roads were built, like that was a revolution that the world Absolutely. had never seen before. And we're living in that time. Um, and I'm just, man, like, how are you helping um, disciple young women? But the, it, we can extrapolate out to young men or just human beings in general. Um, how are you walking, maybe especially with your daughters, through pursuing wisdom when it comes to the power of the Internet? Yeah, I think the 
absolute best, uh, or my, my favorite philosophy and like, uh, best tactic is to plug them as deeply into the word of God as I possibly can, um, in whatever ways that that looks like. Um, because I think that, uh, it's hilarious to watch, uh, I mean, scary, hilarious, um, to watch my kids learn to navigate the internet, like for answers. Mm -hmm. So like my five-year-old will come to me and say, Hey, will you search up? He always says search up. I don't know where that (laughs) came from. Will you search up how to blah, blah, blah. You know, like whatever I am like, you know, passively being like, uh, I don't know, leave me alone. You know, like he, he immediately is like, we'll search it up, search it up on the internet. You know, and I don't want that to be their connecting point to wisdom. I don't want them to have this understanding that like, well, we just ask the internet because Siri will tell us or whoever will tell us. Right. Because I think that that is the easy go-to. So like my kids will do things like uh, this year when we've been homeschooling, um, you know, I said, I want you to do a report on, you know, top news in this specific country that we're studying. And one of my kids goes uh, and Googles, you know, like top news in this country. Right. And he goes, there's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, wait, what? Like, no, there, there is news coming out of that country, I promise you. Yeah. And he's like, well, there's nothing interesting. And mm. I was like, what does interesting mean to you? Like, and he's thinking, I guess, sports or, you know, whatever. Right. But like, I, you know, because they have never learned the like, uh, like how to sit in not understanding something, Mm. you know, like, like we were a generation that like, if you didn't know how to do something, you either had to go to the library and like look on microfiche and like whatever (laughs) it was like, and that might take you a while. And and they're all Google searching right now. Uh, What is microfiche? Yeah. I I don't know. (laughs) You know? Yeah, exactly. Don't find it. It's not worth it. It's horrible. Um, Yeah. But like, they don't understand the like not knowing something or like even my son, like, you know, he, he likes to bake sometimes and he'll get a recipe and he thinks that having a recipe printed with the instructions is the same thing as like just being able to follow directions, mm. you know? And it's like, there's all these parts of the recipe that make it fit together and work. Like you have to do it in order. It has to yeah. be the right, you know, like pieces of, I mean, sizes of amounts of things. I don't know right. what that word denominations that's money um yeah and so i think that like when we take our kids to church and they are exposed to like the telling of bible stories and they know the names of bible characters and we're like okay good like that wisdom is so disconnected from like how do i go to the word if i've never been taught to search the word for something yeah You know, like we have to actually teach them because otherwise they're like, well, I Googled it and it didn't exist. You know, like that information, like I primarily write, like when I'm writing, it's because I have so much of God's word stored in my heart and in my brain because I've read it so many times. And if it's not there to like Google it in your own mind, like they're not going to be able to access it. Yeah, so it's like a it's like a perseverance kind of thing, or it's like a mm-hmm. ability to like I'm gonna push past the um, resistance, and yes. immediate gratification can be a drug that yes. is that is very addictive, and I think that's that is one of the downsides for our kids is, oh, you mean you gotta work for this? Yeah, you know, uh, like everything's yeah. supposed to be fast. Mm-hmm. And there's such blessings from that too. You know what I mean? Like I love that I could teach myself how to play the piano or learn a foreign language just by the power of the internet. Um, but man, that can, it's, yeah, it's just training our brains to, to 
yeah, it's a social experiment that I don't know. I, I think one of the best things I would advise my kids probably would be, and myself, is to read the book of Proverbs on repeat. And and what does it say about how words are used? Mm-hmm. And how is that contrasted with how I see words used on social media, on media, you know, in... Um, you know, movies I'm watching or whatever. I think that's that's really, really been helpful for me um, is just seeing the wisdom literature and what does that have to say about how I can use social media or just the power of the internet in general in a way that's going to glorify God. Because it's not going back. The cat's, the genie's not going back in Mm-mm. the bottle, you know. Um, this is the world we live in. And I praise God for a lot of it. Um but just, man, the pathway of wisdom is, is what we really need to be thinking about, I think. Yeah, I, I think another like element of that that the internet is kind of like um, pillaging is uh, their ability to like be in relationship, like deep, like real being known kind of relationship, yeah. being willing to be called out on stuff. Like um, one of the extraordinary blessings that we have had in moving um, away from the South, you know, our kids were always, when we lived in the South, they were always very, um, they assumed Christian culture. They kind of assumed everyone in their class was a Christian because yep. they were nice. And, um, when we moved to the East coast, it was like, Oh, these people don't even pretend that they're Christians. Like right. they don't like God. Oh, right. that's different. And, um, but one of the things that that has done is, uh, in our church plant, we don't have a youth group because the youth in the church are my children. And so, um, you know, things that were assumed when I had little kids, like I assumed when I had a two-year-old that they would be in an active youth group and that the youth group would be forming their faith. And um, instead, it's been like, no, our actually our local church is forming my children's faith. And my 16-year-old daughter is attending women's Bible study with like a group of women that range from like 20 to 85. Sure. And it's been like the coolest thing ever to see her exposed to like women whose lives are actually impacted and shaped by living in community with one another, being vulnerable about struggles, um, actually being shaped and transformed by the word of God. Um, that like, it's not just like we're coming and talking about praying for each other's grandma's cats, you know, like it's real and transforming and powerful. And the internet generation is not finding that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do have concerns about um, two-dimensional relationships is what I call it. You know what I mean? Very God created true. us in three dimensions, you know, where we can like see, taste, you know, smell, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, um, touch. And and man, like God created us for three-dimensional appropriate touch, um, real tears that are seen on someone's face, um, real conversations and, and hugs and reconciliation and the ability to, like you said, to say, say hard things. And, um, man, just, I I just, yeah, I really desire, um, an emerging generation to, to taste the profundity and the goodness of relationships as God defines it, you know, in, in his word, you know, um, first Peter four, eight is love one another earnestly, uh, from the heart. And, and that doesn't mean that you throw away your smartphone. It just means this could be a, a distraction if I lean on it too much, you know? Absolutely. So I want to talk about purity culture. Cool. Because uh, I, I think I'm late to the game on this. 
And you said you had some... I want to know what that means. Well, what that means is I wasn't raised in like a youth group that talked about that in the in the 90s. Um, I think... I don't have, remember having any conversations with anybody about like the purity ring. Uh, none, it may none, have been a Southern thing. Like, I mean, do you think... I'm wondering... I don't it know. It might, it might have been a Southern thing. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of friends that were girls and, and that wasn't a topic of conversation. Um... You know, I'm as Christian culture as it gets. You know what I mean? Like raised in the church, went to camp every summer, fall, spring, um, Christian music festivals. Like I would, I mean, I'm as Christian culture as they come. Um, that is um, interesting then that you weren't exposed to that. That's so when I hear the term purity culture nowadays as it comes up, and it's been kind of a, a hot topic, I think, in certain circles, um, it's pejorative. You know, it's a it's a negative term. And I, first I want to say, well, purity culture, like, that's a good thing. I, I mean, the Bible talks about purity. Holiness, yes. <laughs> Holiness yes, is a good, good thing. Yes. Um, as long as it's fueled by the right motives and not legalism yeah. and pharisaicalism and all that. But, yeah, holiness is brings joy because um, yes. it's, it's God's way um, and it's his character. But, like, t- talk to me about purity culture as you understand it or experienced it and then how we can maybe do better um, in our churches today. Sure. So I, it's funny that, uh, <laughs> that we're talking about this because I think I tended to see it probably, like I thought I was an insider when I was experiencing it, but I was actually like seeing it from an, with an outsider's perspective. So I thought I was a Christian. So when I heard people talking about it, I was like, oh yes, I am one of you. You know, mm-hmm. like, of course I want to be holy and pure. But because I didn't understand that purity was something that was like all encompassing, like you cannot be pure in your own strength. Like every part of you is going to rebel rebel against the Lord. Like I saw it as an outsider as very much just one more thing to like check off of a list, you know? So like we had in my public high school, um, a group that called, what was it? It was like first priority, I think was the name of the group. And they, they would always do these big, like first, uh, what did they call it? I'm totally blanking on the name now, but it was like big purity kind of like push weekends where like, you know, once a year, everybody would come and learn about the call to purity and sign some big purity pledge that they were going to be pure and wait until marriage. And that's what they meant was like sexually pure, not have sex before marriage. Right. But that's a good thing, right? Right. Totally good. Yeah. Uh, failing to address the fact that between the line between like, I like you, will you hold my hand? And like consummating a marriage is a wide spectrum of things that do not like connotate purity. Right. Sure. So like, so, I mean, it was like a super limited definition of, in my mind, again, as an outsider, um, you know, it was a very much like, don't do this or God will reject you. And so, so it's um, legalism, essentially. Oh, very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, that can always be the the messenger. Like I, I didn't have exposure to like multiple different varieties of this, you know, wave sure. or whatever. So sure. I'm sure that some people were doing it in in a grace based way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that for me, uh, you know, I, I think our parents' generation. I'm assuming your parents are around the same generation as mine. Um, I think that they talked uh, not at all with their children about anything having to do with like emotions or sexuality or anything like that. And so, um, 
so our generation is like figuring this out for ourselves when we're in high school in many, you know, many instances. I've spoken to many women that kind of had a very similar upbringing where they were like, oh my gosh, I never talked about relationships or anything like that yeah. with my parents. And again, maybe that's in like the less, uh, in the homes that aren't discipling as um, intentionally. But, um, but I think that there was so much work that needed to be done on my understanding of like, hey, we're striving for holiness in every area, not uniquely just this one. Right. So yes, please do have a biblical view of godly sexuality, but also understand that like, that's not the thing to like hyper focus on and only consider when considering whether or not you're pure before God. Yeah. You know? Amen. So I think that's probably Yeah, I mean, it's scary that Jesus says in the text that we looked at last week, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you, meaning the Pharisees, the legalists. Yeah. You know, that's weighty, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and Jesus as well says to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. You know, mm -hmm. he doesn't sweep it under the rug. But man, like, um, so was this mainly just girls that were receiving this message? You know, that's another funny aspect. I was actually wondering that when you brought it up, because I was like, I wonder if it's just girls, because I know that the dads like usually gave the girls like purity right, rings. Right, right, right. So like, but I mean, like, did the dudes have purity rings? Right, and, like, right. You know, and, and I'll say like my husband, I did not grow up in uh, a denomination that was anywhere near the denomination that we are in now. My husband grew up um, in uh, a more conservative denomination. And so, uh, I think that it's funny to see like some of that stuff was denominational. Like some of it sure. was like, like my church was never talking about purity culture, but they were talking really about anything like holiness, <laughs> like sure. per God's law commands, you know, yeah. we were kind of skipping all the big things. And yeah. so, um, so I think my husband had more experience with like hearing the messages, but I mean, like, I don't think he would say of himself at that age that like, oh man, I was so well prepared to understand this. And I took my vows of purity very seriously because it was like, he was a teenage boy. So he's like listening to some of it, still has sure. his own struggles, sure. you know? I mean, like, so I think that, I think it was probably way more pushed on girls than it was, um, you know, like the girls were the defenders of their own honor and the boys... It was like, oh, you boys, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, don't be rascals. Yeah, oh my word. Yeah, that that's hard because we want, because a biblical definition of purity is obviously both genders. Yeah. And it's more far-reaching than just sexual purity. Never less than sexual purity, but but obviously more far-reaching. I think as and I think And also, about, like, males are supposed to be protecting and, yeah. like, loving and shepherding, yep. you know? Yep. And, like, you think about high school boys with, like, undeveloped prefrontal cortexes yes. not seeing long-term down the road, you know? Right. Like, it's very difficult physically for them to be the protectors, you know? So, yeah. like, even, even those things, I think, like, we, we falsely... Um, assume things, you know, like assume a, fa a faulty level of maturity yeah. that like that has to have discipleship that has to have yeah, investment, amen. you know? Amen. Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking back even now, uh, on the purity culture that I had in high school and it was around drinking. It wasn't sex. We didn't, talk, we didn't talk about sex, but for whatever it was, it was like drinking was the big sin. And of course, like the Bible talks about getting drunk as a sin and amen, preach that. Um, but 
like it was this hyper focus on it probably was sex and drinking but i just remember thinking like those people that drink like they're really really bad horrible but but failing to remember that i was a gossip and i was so prideful um i look back and disrespectful to my parents in ways and just like so like prideful um but not like them right exactly and so that's what that's the the big downside of talking about purity in only one area as like the ultimate area and make no mistake like we, again, this conversation demands so much nuance because um, I do think that sexuality is in some ways unique and and it is very, very precious as a picture that God has given to um, to reenact the gospel um, as a union between Christ and, and the church. And, and that's a beautiful thing that God created um, and it's powerful. It's really, really powerful. But uh, man, the Bible also says my words are really, really powerful. Well, and, and anything plucked out of context, I think, yes. you know, like that's like, that's always a problem. You know, when we take little one part, one part and make it disjointed from the rest. Yeah. So purity culture though, like, man, I kind of want to just reinvent that term though. Cause we want a purity culture, but we're going to have to, we're probably just going to have yeah. to talk about it in different and use different words. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's really interesting how different, um, cultures and different uh, time periods talk about uh, different things. It's fun. I mean, what are we going to look back on in 20 years and go, Roller what we're living in right now and going, ah, that was... What were we doing? And I, if I could see it, I would change it. But that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You can't see it until you live in the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, well, Lindsay, that's that's probably good for today. Um I've really enjoyed this conversation and um, I wish nothing but the best for you and your efforts. And um, do you have any um, book ideas in the works or anything you could share with us? I do. I actually have a book coming out uh, probably this time next year. Um, Yeah, actually this month, next year Um, with it's another book with Crossway um, and it's going to be on encouragement. Oh, so it's focusing on um, how we often um, look for encouragement from empty sources. And so how can we develop uh, a biblical understanding of how God utilizes encouragement for the, um, strengthening of his people. So I love it. Yeah, look for that. I'm a year. big believer. Um, and man, we'd love to have you back, uh, I'd love to in, join you. in, uh, in a, a year when it comes yeah. out. So <laughs> I'll be in touch hopefully Sounds and we can good. have another great conversation, but, um, yeah, blessings to you. And your ministry, I hope um, the Lord enables you to keep writing and keep parenting and helping others uh, parent to the glory of God and think about discipleship. So really, really thankful for you and your ministry, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for having me.